Remember the context. Jesus is, this is a farewell speech, deathbed speech, speaking to his disciples, Last Supper, you know the painting. That's what this is. Jesus is headed to, his, he's headed to the cross. He's leaving his disciples. And he shocked them by telling them that it's actually going to be to their advantage if he leaves. So we've said, we described a couple weeks ago, Dave Sharp prayed, or preached, and, and we talked about how Jesus was telling the disciples that if he went away, it would be to their advantage because if he goes away, then he's going to secure for them their future destiny. And then last week I said the second benefit was if Jesus goes away, then we will come into a deeper understanding of who he is. Trials do that. Today, we're going to see Jesus saying that there's this third benefit. If Jesus goes away, then he's going to send a helper. He's going to send the Holy Spirit. And if you flip over to John chapter 16, Jesus continuing, this is, this is still the same speech to the disciples, two chapters later, still the same speech. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For, because, if I don't go away, the helper can't come. The helper won't come. So Jesus is saying that the disciples, which includes everyone who's following Jesus, not just the 11 that were there, but all of us, if you're in Christ, if you're a disciple of Jesus, if you're a true Christian, then what Jesus is saying is you have a better advantage than if Jesus was physically present with you because he has given you the helper, the Holy Spirit. How many people live in at the level of their benefits? This, this, is, this, this word, this sermon gets me. So I want us to see, I want us to see four qualities to the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. I want us to see these four qualities to the presence of the Holy Spirit that leads to, it's intended to lead to this game-winning, game-changing advantage in our lives. Jesus is launching into one of the longest speeches ever on. He's starting now. He's introducing this topic, which would have been new to the disciples, but he's introducing this topic of the person and the work of the Holy Spirit, and it's going to continue through the rest of chapter 14, through chapter 15, through chapter 16, and it will even show up in his prayer for the disciples in chapter 17. His intention is, is to deepen our understanding of who the Holy Spirit is, what the Holy Spirit does, and why God sent him to us. We need some clarity on this. Most Christians are comfortable with God the Father, comfortable with God the Son and Jesus, a little uncomfortable with God the Holy Spirit because he is more mysterious to us. So four advantageous qualities of the presence of the Holy Spirit. Four advantageous qualities of the presence of the Holy Spirit. Number one, his invisible 
indwelling presence. Invisible, indwelling presence. Now, what we're going to do here, so we wouldn't typically do this, but what I want you to see is in this text, Jesus says in verse 16, so about halfway through the text that we're walking through, he says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. So when he says that in verse 16, it helps us to understand the verses that precede verse 16. It helps us to understand verses 12, 13, and 14. And it also helps us to understand the verses that come after that. Verse 17. So what we're going to do is work from the bottom up. So in verse 17, we learn, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because... It neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So this is how I came up with the words, invisible, neither sees him, invisible, but dwells in you, indwelling. So when we're talking about an advantageous quality of the presence of the Holy Spirit, we have this invisible, indwelling presence. And I think many of us oftentimes try to live the Christian life without remembering the invisible, indwelling presence that the Spirit of God actually dwells within you. You believe this? We just don't believe this enough. I'm convinced that I don't believe this. You guys, a couple of people talking back to me. You can talk back at me when you're feeling that. I, I feel that. I don't, I don't live. Like, I don't take advantage. It's like I leave Michael Jordan on the bench of my life. And the Holy Spirit lives within me. Now, as I preach this morning, I, I'm recognizing something. That I could say things that could portray, I think I run the risk of portraying God wrongly, and I certainly don't want to do that, but there's some things that I think we're supposed to be rattled by when we consider these advantageous qualities of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And we don't often live as uh, taking advantage of this blessing that we have. So, Lord, I pray that you would protect my words, and I pray that you would protect us from any confusion based on things that I say. If the Spirit of God dwells in us, then that means he does so 24-7. There's never a time where, do you ever feel like that? You ever feel like, oh, I don't feel close to the Holy Spirit, so he must be down the road. He, maybe he's in the neighbor's house. Or maybe he's in the, the Russell's house, because Jairus seems at times more godly than me. You know, maybe he's let, he, do you guys realize this? When you became a Christian, the Holy Spirit came in you, dwelt in you. And the scripture says that he promises never to leave you or forsake you. So that means there's nothing you could do to get the Holy Spirit to depart from you. Now, that's, this is a sobering thought, and we're going to talk about it in just a minute. But it's not up to you and the way you act to keep the Holy Spirit inside you. That is the commitment of God. God's never going to change his mind. 
He's never going to change his mind. If he has saved you, if he has rescued you, if you are in Christ, then the Holy Spirit dwells in you. It doesn't matter how many times you've prayed for that. It doesn't matter how many wrong things you've done. It doesn't matter what sin you're struggling with. It doesn't matter how much you believe these things to be true. This is what Jesus is saying is true about every believer. You bring God, the Holy Spirit, into your day when you get up. Why? How, how do you know that? Well, because he was with you while you were sleeping. He never left. Scripture says he never sleeps or slumbers. We bring the Holy Spirit into every situation. We bring the Holy Spirit into everything that troubles us. Remember, that's the context. These guys are troubled. And Jesus is saying, listen. You're okay. It's going to be okay because when I die and I rise again and ascend to the Father, the Holy Spirit's coming and you're going to be okay because he's going to be with you 24-7. He's never going to leave you. He's going to be with you. He's with you right now in that difficult trial. He's with you. might not feel like it. But he is with you. You bring him everywhere you go. When, you, when you're feeling that anxious presence, he's with you. When you're in that difficult trial, he's with you. When you're churning something, you're churning over something, you're turning something over in your mind over and over and over and over again, the Holy Spirit is with you. Any spiritual growth you've ever experienced in your life has been the result of the Holy Spirit in you. It hasn't been you. It's been the Holy Spirit taking the good news about Jesus and applying it to your heart. You're so dependent upon the Holy Spirit, friends. We are so utterly dependent upon the Holy Spirit, and I wonder if we live that way. Any understanding you have of Jesus, credit the Holy Spirit. Any true help you've ever been able to offer others, credit the Holy Spirit. Any love in you, any faith, any patience, any self-control, it's the fruit of the Holy Spirit blooming in your life. We take him wherever we go. Unlike the people in your life, you take the Holy Spirit wherever you go. That means... When you go somewhere in your mind where no one else can join you, the Holy Spirit's right there. When you start living out one of your fantasies, Holy Spirit's watching the movie play out with you. So let's talk about Secret sin for a minute. You know why I put it in quotes? It ain't secret. God sees your Google searches. Nobody else might. God sees it. I've been trying to imagine when I think about even so, and I'm not thinking about you, I'm thinking about myself, some of my own battles with sin over the years. 
And how embarrassing it would be to invite Amy along with me, to invite my kids, to invite the church to enter into one of my sinful moments. Imagine, husbands and fathers, it's no secret that you're battling pornography. It's happening. Look at the statistics. Now imagine for a moment in that battle that you have said uh, to your wife, I want you to come and sit with me while I enter into this fantasy. How embarrassing that would be. How grievous that would be. The Holy Spirit, because he's promised never to leave you or forsake you, he sits right next to you. He sits with you. This is why the scripture says that it is possible for us to grieve, sadden the Holy Spirit. Because he's not going to leave. What what if he could say, you know what? I know where you're going today, and I'm checking out. I don't even want to be a part of you anymore. No, he stays there and then grieves with sadness. I wonder if this truth that the Spirit of God indwells us, the invisible Spirit of God indwells us, could be used to more advantage in our ongoing battle with sin if we would remember that he's not only there present with us that we could potentially grieve him, but he's there with power to help us find the way out when temptation seizes you. So the scripture says that's what he's come to do. There is no temptation that has ever seized man except that which is common to man. But take heart, the Spirit of God, the Lord, always provides a way out. What if we were to remember that? I bet you it could change our battle with ongoing sin. The scripture always talks of walking in the Spirit. And I I wonder about that. Why walking? Why not running? That seems like a better picture. Sprinting. Walking. Seems so boring. Walking in the Spirit, just getting up tomorrow, saying, Spirit of God, would you make me aware of your presence? Here I go. That's the prayer we need to pray. Because he is already with us. We've already said that. He never leaves us. He's filled us. If you're in Christ. If you're not in Christ, the scripture is really clear here. He says, even the spirit of truth, whom the world can't receive. So if you're not a Christian and you're here this morning, I'm so glad that you're here. But I want to just be straight up honest with you. You don't have the spirit. You can't see it. You can't receive him unless you have Christ. We're going to talk about that in a minute. So if you want Christ, just say, Christ, I want you. I need you. And the Spirit of God will fill you. And your situation can change in a millisecond. (laughs) So, 
So what we're doing when we get up in the morning, maybe in the morning or throughout the day, is we're praying. This is something I pray. Every, I try to pray this every day because I know the Spirit of God is active and I know the Spirit of God lives in me. The problem is me. It's not the Spirit. The problem is me. So what I'm praying is, would you make me aware of your presence? Because I don't feel it. I don't see it. You're invisible. So I'm asking, would you make me aware. In other words, I'm saying, would you fill me? Would you make me aware of your presence? Would you fill me in a fresh way with yourself and cause your fruit to ripen in my life? That's the prayer we should pray. And it's in line with this advantage that we have because of the advantageous quality of the Spirit being invisible and indwelling. The Holy Spirit dwells within. This is to your huge advantage. Somebody say amen. Second advantageous quality is that the Spirit is always available. So we're talking about the always available presence of the Holy Spirit. Always available. Jesus identifies the Holy Spirit as what word did he use? What name did he give? Somebody say it. Helper. It's called the Holy Spirit, the helper. Some translations say comforter, helper, comforter. The Greek word, paraclete. Now check this, though, because this, this is helpful as well. A paraclete would have been understood contextually as a defense attorney. You didn't think of that, did you? Some of the people in this room, I'm looking at some of you. You have needed a defensive attorney, defense attorney. So you know what it's like to get the help of a defense attorney. Some, some of you have never had to think about that. But that's the idea. The Holy Spirit is your helper. He's your defense attorney. Someone you called to help you in your defense. Why do we need defending? Because our sins have separated us from Jesus. And we need someone outside of ourselves to help us. And so the Holy Spirit is our helper because he helps us to understand that we have an advocate in Jesus. That Jesus actually came, took your place, lived a perfect life, took your place, and then died, died on the cross, took your punishment, rose again, and lives now for you, ascended eternally at the right hand of the Father, where, which is where he's going to bring you to be with him forever and ever and ever and ever. You needed a good defense attorney. You needed, some, you, needed, you needed the miraculous work of God to actually make a way of salvation for you. And he did that by taking the punishment that you deserve on himself. There's a great story in the prophet Zechariah tells in Zechariah, he was one of the prophets, he tells this story, a vision of Joshua, the high priest. And, and the, the picture that he shows is one that more than any other story that I'm aware of shows God acting as a defense attorney. Listen to it. So Zechariah sees this vision. He says, Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, 
standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan was standing at his right hand to accuse him. Have you ever stood and felt the accusation of the enemy towards you, reminding you that you ain't as good as you think you are? You ain't as good as you've led people to believe you are? You ever dealt with accusations like that? You ever felt condemned even though there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus? Then you know what was happening here. Satan standing at Joshua's right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? If you're in Christ, you're a brand plucked from the fire. And your only rescue was 100% Jesus. It had nothing to do with you. Your response to him was a response to his grace towards you. Your response to him, which is real, was a response to him plucking you out of the fire. You love him now because he first loved you. It's not the other way around. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem. Now, Joshua was standing before the angel, clothed with filthy garments. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, Remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, Behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. And I said, Let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments. And the angel of the Lord was standing by. That's the gospel in Zechariah. You're aware of your sin. You're aware of your failures. You've had moments where you're paralyzed by it. Paralyzed by guilt. Are you remembering? You have the best attorney, the best defense attorney ever in the history of human civilization, and he's working pro bono. Is that the word? He's he's doing it for free. That's the point. He's always available to you. It's never about your ability to get yourself clean for God. It's never about your ability to clean yourself up and get yourself in right standing with God. Does obedience matter? Yeah, but it's always in response. It's God that scrubs you clean. It's God that takes the filthy garments off of you, puts them on Jesus, and then takes Jesus' robes of righteousness and puts you in them. That's the picture. That's the love of God in the gospel. That'll help us. Because sometimes we feel beat down by our sin, and we feel condemned by it, and and we feel a a, a sense of overwhelming shame and guilt. And the Lord wants to remind us that we have this advantage in Jesus, or in the Holy Spirit, who is our helper, to actually act as our defense attorney, who reminds you that that's been paid for. (laughs) Jesus paid for that sin. It's, It's gone. It's washed away in his blood, and you're white. You're clothed in the righteousness, the white robes of Jesus. Ronald Reagan, uh, when he, his, his political career was marked by a lot of struggle as well. And when he ran for the Republican nomination in the 70s against Gerald Ford, he lost. 
And when he lost, he gathered together a bunch of his supporters who had helped him with his campaign. And he said something that stuck with me. He quoted from an old English ballad. And he said this, I will lay me down and bleed a while. Though I am wounded, I am not slain. I shall rise and fight again. That's a very motivating statement. I can tell you as a Christian, it's completely true because of the advantage you have in the Holy Spirit. You're going to get back up again. You're going to rise. You might be wounded right now. You might be licking your wounds. You might be dealing with the consequences of your sin. But because of the Holy Spirit, because he's your helper, your sins are forgiven and you're going to stand and live for Jesus. Aren't you thankful that this is true about you? So lay down and bleed a while, but don't stay there. You will rise and fight again, empowered by the Holy Spirit. All right, let me keep moving here. Let's move to the third advantageous quality. And I'm going to hit this one very quickly. The third advantageous quality of the presence of the Spirit in our lives is the eternal, never-expiring presence. So what Jesus says here, what I'm highlighting, is verse 16 when he says, I will give you another helper to be with you. What's it say, church? What's it say? Forever. What's the expiration date on this? Expiration dates are important. There is no expiration date on the Holy Spirit's promise to stay with you. It's an eternal, never expiring presence. In a world where nothing lasts forever, that is a huge advantage. Will you get that idea back into the game? Once my wife, on a trip when we were younger and poor, I was hungry at the airport, and she decided to feed. She went over to the vending machine to get us some sandwiches. But she looked into the trash can and saw that they had just cleaned the vending machine out. They got all the fresh sandwiches in the vending machine, took all the old expired ones, and threw them in the trash can. She thought, we're going to save some money here. They're still in the container. She, I don't think she ate one, but I did. I didn't know. I got to our destination and spent two days in bed. And I think it was the expired sandwiches. <laughs> the Holy Spirit's presence with you has no expiration date. It never goes bad. It never sours. It never expires. It never molds. It never rots. It's always yours forever and ever and ever and ever. Advantage, Holy Spirit, advantage you. Eternal, never expiring presence. I have put my faith in Jesus. He's the eternal rock. He's the grounding rock of my soul. He's my hope. He's my firm foundation. And he's never going to let me down. If you are in Christ, you can join me in saying those things. You have put your hope in Jesus. You, he's an eternal, you have an eternal, unshaking confidence because he's the anchor beyond the veil. And he's never going to let anyone down. There's 
no expiration date to his faithfulness. There's no expiration date to how long he's going to be patient with you. There's no expiration date to the Spirit of God dwelling you. You are filled with the Spirit if you are in Christ from now till forevermore. It's yours as a gift from God. And that gives you a great advantage. Are you enjoying that? Fourth quality. So we're just in review. We have said there are four advantageous qualities of the presence of the Holy Spirit. We've got the invisible indwelling presence. We have the always available presence. And we have the eternal never expiring presence. And we will end where we began by talking about the powerful presence that we have. The, the, another advantageous quality of the Spirit of God is that he empowers you to live for Jesus. You're filled with power. And so it tells us something remarkable. He says, Mark my words, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And then Jesus says, and greater works than these will he do. Now, how? What? Come on. He's exaggerating, right? I, I, would, I can't wait to meet Jesus. I wonder if he had, a, I know he probably had a good sense of humor, but I don't know. You don't get that sense from the scriptures that he was tricking the guys. They were so dull. Dumb, he couldn't use a lot of sarcasm with him, probably. <laughs> when he said greater works, I think he meant it. Well, what were Jesus' works? Man, John showed us a lot. I mean, look at how loving he was. So those are the ones that maybe we can grasp. Look at how loving he was. Look at how faithful he was. Look at how hopeful he was. But when we talk about the things, the, the ergo, the erga, the works, we've got to talk about his miracles. We've got to be talking about them. Think of all the great things that Jesus has done in this passage of Scripture. He turned water into wine. You ever do that? Invite me over if you can do that. Because I'd love to hang that night. He raised Lazarus from the dead. He had been dead so long that his sisters said, we can't go to the grave because it will stink. Jesus called him out. When he said greater things, he didn't mean more spectacular. Don't think that's what he meant. Because we're not doing miracles more spectacular than Jesus. If you are, could you come talk to me after the service? I want to meet you. And I think something's wrong because <laughs> I don't think you're doing anything more spectacular than Jesus. So what does he mean? This is, what I think, what he means, family. The works done by us after Jesus died and rose again and ascended are greater than the works Jesus did pre-death. Why? Because it's clear that the works that have been done by Jesus prior to his death are misunderstood by everyone. 
But now, because Jesus has died and has rose again and has ascended on high, he has made, through his life, death, and resurrection, he's made the gospel something we can more clearly understand. You understand the gospel better than the 11 did that night when they were listening to that farewell speech. Why? Because you have the Holy Spirit helping you to understand. It's advantage. Now the works done by the Holy Spirit through us can evidence Jesus to a lost and dying world. What's it going to show? It's going to show his saving power, his transforming power, his resurrection power, his life-changing power. He enables us to do greater things, to bring more glory to the Father, more spreading of God's fame. Jesus is no longer limited by his pre-death humanness. We have been empowered and equipped to, to serve the advance of the kingdom of Jesus in this world. The kingdom of God is invading, folks. It's invading America. It's invading the nations. And, and he's going to accomplish his mission through Holy Spirit-fueled, Holy Spirit-empowered, Holy Spirit-filled Christians who are weak in and of themselves but filled with the Spirit are going to accomplish Christ's Mission in their generation. Jesus, I'll ask the band to return. We're going to spend some time talking to God and asking him to fill us. But Jesus says something amazing at the beginning. Whatever you ask in my name, this will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. I think we need to ask God for more. If these are all the advantageous qualities we have of the Spirit of God, we must need to ask Him more. And I think in, the, in our Reformed theological understanding of Scripture, which I am deeply grateful for, I think, though, sometimes in our Reformed understanding, our Reformed theological understanding, we emphasize the sovereignty of God, which should be emphasized. And when I talk about the sovereignty of God, I'm talking about the fact that he exercises authority and control over every aspect of our lives. But that is not supposed to lead to a life of depressed resignation. God going to do what God going to do. He actually asks us and encourages us to pray. Jesus does right here. But there's other places in Scripture. There's a, there's a place in Scripture in the Old Testament that says, if my people called by my name would humble themselves and, and turn from their sin and pray. It's an if statement, guys. That's an if that If they would do this and pray, then, he says, I would answer and I would heal their land. Why does he say that? He's sovereign over everything. Why is he saying a statement like that? Because the scriptures hold sovereignty and, and God's desire for you to ask intention. That's hard for us to do. It's hard for us to do those things. But the, the, the scripture tells us in other gospels, ask, seek, knock. Like the, the spirit of God tells us to do this. Right here, Jesus says, whatever you ask. So the implication is you should be asking God for things. Are you asking God for anything? Some of you are, undoubtedly. 
Some of us need to ask more. And asking would be keeping in line with the great advantage we have because the Holy Spirit is with us. I don't want God to say to us, and this is where I could get in trouble theologically, but try to understand what I'm saying. I would have done more. I could have done more. They never asked me. Don't get tripped over that. He's definitely calling on us to ask. He wants to hear you. He wants to fill us. He wants us to ask him, Lord, would you fill me fresh with your spirit? When's the last time you prayed that? I wonder if God would say, the family at Brandywine Grace just doesn't ask me for much. I wonder to what extent he would say there's a greater advantage for them to experience if they would live in the good of it. Let's get the Holy Spirit back in the game of our lives. Let's live lives in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.